This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Let's talk a little Brooklyn Nets basketball because by God, it, we have a season that's about to begin in just a couple of days. Evan Roberts, Mike Baseglia. First of all, are you excited for the start of the season? Yes, I'm very excited. Absolutely. No, very I'm much ex- looking forward to it. I- I'm excited too. It's just so freaking weird that the last few months have sapped enjoyment away from me to where I didn't, I wasn't sure I'd be excited, but I think watching this team for a couple of preseason games and kind of realizing, all right, this is actually going to happen. There's going to be a season. We're not going to get a last second trade. This is the roster has sort of geeked me up again. Would you put the excitement level uh, in the same range as last year and the year before, or slightly below the same or above? Below. It's definitely below, but it's um it's a weird feeling coming into this year. And and we talked about it on previous episodes where in the past, you know, kind of the sentiment was like, How are we gonna get through this regular season? We just gotta stay healthy and then hope all, all goes well when the playoffs are in. And I've been humbled by the disaster that was last year's Brooklyn Nets. So I think I come into this year with a with a deep down feeling of, I think they're kind of good, but I won't allow myself to take that fruit. And I'm kind of just getting into this mentality of, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it to myself. And I'm purposely like preventing myself from feeling joy or excitement. And I think because of this mechanism I've created, (laughs) there's something where I'm like, Okay, yeah, let's do it. Let, let's see what happens. I'm excited. Of course I am. I'm always excited. I don't, you know, even if the team sucked, I'd be excited. Yeah. Because I love my team. But I um, definitely have a different feeling going into this year than I have in past seasons. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out what that is yet. Yeah. It, no, it's funny because I'm like you. No matter what the expectations are, I get excited for a new basketball season. Even the Jeremy Lin team of about five years ago. Like you always go into a season, especially because, you know, you're a giant fan. I'm a jet fan. We're both met fans. Usually our football season's already over. Our baseball season had ended and you're looking for some excitement. You're looking Mm. for some hope. And so I always go into a Brooklyn net and back in the day, New Jersey net season with excitement, with hope. The, The funny thing I'm doing, and I don't know if it's the same mechanism or not, is that obviously at the end of the day, our expectations or at least our hope on a successful season is winning an NBA championship. When you've got Kevin Durant in his prime or the latter part of his prime, however you want to define it, the bar is to win a title. You know, we didn't sign these guys four years ago with the hope of just being good. It's to win a championship. So obviously that's the end all be all. But I think coming into the season, my goals are actually pretty small. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's a coping Mm -hmm. mechanism or if it's, Hey, I need to see more before I jump to the whole 
they better win a championship world, even though, yes, ultimately, that's how we feel. But I kind of go into this season saying, hey, I'm just excited to watch them play basketball. I'm just excited to see these three guys specifically. It used to be James Harden. Now it's Ben Simmons. Just play together and hopefully win a lot of regular season games and hopefully develop that chemistry. And so, again, I'm not sure if it's the same coping mechanism you have or it's just trying to be more realistic. Yeah, the end goal is to win an NBA championship, but I'm kind of starting off saying I'm just excited to see them all play basketball together. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's some, I think it's a little bit of both. I, I definitely think it's a little bit of both because there is a coping mechanism to deal with the failures of, of the last couple of years because they sucked. I mean, it was just a mess. It was just, it was just awful. Uh, but then at the same time, you have to, you have to you have to guard yourself against what that was because it was so brutal and so bad. Like the Nets last year were 20 and six. They were cruising. They were the first seed in the Eastern conference. Kevin Durant got hurt and the season just went, I mean, it went down the tubes. It was terrible. So yeah, I think it's just a defense mechanism for ourselves because we've been hurt. You know, it's like, it's like going out in the dating scene or going out and and meeting somebody and you've just been burned so many times that when you're going back out there, you're like, you're going on a date, right? And it's like, okay, and, and, and you know, and, and your parents are saying, okay, you're going out with this girl, but you're not going to marry her. You're going, yeah, we're just going out to have some fun. Don't worry, I'm not going there. You don't want to let yourself have that because you know you've been hurt in the past. So I think you start telling yourself baby steps, baby steps, baby steps, because you know if you start dreaming big, you're just going to hurt your heart. By the way, what's so great about that analogy is that I've watched all four of these preseason games, maybe not to the same kind of extent as I would the regular season. Uh, I would DVR them. I would start them and I'd get distracted. Like other things would be going on. You know, there's baseball playoffs going on. I'm talking to my wife, but I definitely have it on. Like I'm not ignoring the nets in the preseason. And when they played their first preseason game against Philadelphia, it may have been the Miami game, but I think it was the Philadelphia game. Every time Kevin Durant looked disgusted, and he had every reason to be. The team played horribly. The defensive effort wasn't there. The offense just looked completely a mess. But every time there was an ugly turnover, because they also turned the ball over a ridiculous amount of times, I'd look at him and say, oh, he's done. Oh, he's got that wandering eye again. Uh, he He doesn't want me anymore. And so I felt myself watching the first preseason game, overanalyzing the body language and the reactions from Kevin Durant. And as this was going on, I was explaining it to my wife. And I said, I can't go through a season like this. This is, you know, it's like if we cheated on each other, you know, she'd look at me differently. I'd look at her differently. Our relationship would be ruined forever. Can we ever actually make it work? And I'll tell you through that first game, everything that was happening I'm analyzing. Oh, he's pissed off. There was one play in particular in which it looked like he stormed off the court. He looked so disgusted. I forget exactly what the play was, but he just turned away disgusted. And I'm thinking to myself, he's calling his agent. He's trying to get to Phoenix. And that was a very unhealthy way to start watching uh, the Nets in the preseason. No. Yeah, exactly. Especially because it is the preseason. But I mean, as bad as the first two games were, in particular, the second game, against my the sixer game was bad but the miami game was just was terrible i mean they just looked putrid uh you know the third and fourth games had some serious positivity to them where the nets looked really good versus milwaukee and then uh in the in the final preseason game looked really good again it was it was encouraging to see and it was 
you know, it was funny because you kind of get the temperature check on Nets Twitter, and I'm I'm to blame for this as well, the highs and lows, and I try to not do it, even if it is the preseason. And I always tell myself it's just the preseason, it doesn't matter, but I'm I'm human. I can't help myself. I get I get into it. Like I can't help myself when it's so bad, especially after what we saw last year. It was like a sense of relief, even in a preseason game, that they came out and looked decent against the Bucks because of what was so what happened last year, and then the first two preseason games being so bad. Even though it doesn't matter, and they could go out against the Pelicans and be a disaster, there was there was like a legit sense well, of relief after that third game. Here's why it matters, and, and it's not that they won two games that matter. Obviously, the wins and losses don't matter, but. As I was getting annoyed watching the Philly game and the Miami game, I felt the same way as you. And I was looking at the lack of defensive effort. I was looking at the sloppiness. Uh, you know, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. I know Kyrie didn't play. I think it was the second game because his wife gave birth. Congratulations to Kyrie. And by the way, that whole situation felt so normal. You know, Kyrie Irving missing a game <laughs> right. would be a big freaking deal. Here's, you know, we know why he missed the game. A great excuse, obviously. Of course. He's a father. And then he shows up to the game. <laughs> right, normal. I was like, well, okay, this is cool. So <laughs> I was celebrating, you know, obviously I'm happy for him just as a human being, but I was celebrating how normal that was. But when they were struggling in those first two preseason games, I was disgusted and annoyed. And I would try to talk to myself and say, ah, it's preseason, it doesn't matter. But then the other side of me said, no, 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 it does matter. We just spent the last two years minimizing every step of the way. Every step of the way we minimized and said, ah, wake me up in April. And look what happened in April. Obviously, in 2021, it was more injuries that caused the whole thing to go to hell. But last year, you can't just flip a button. Yeah, great. Kyrie Irving's eligible for home games. That's fantastic. You just can't flip a button. So I was right. I think you were right. I think anyone listening was right for being annoyed by those two preseason games. And I think you're right for being encouraged by how different this team looked over those two games against the Bucs and the Timberwolves. It doesn't mean they're winning an NBA championship because of it. It doesn't mean they're going to start the year 8-0 because of it. But we got to stop skipping steps, even as fans. All of this matters. These guys playing together, it matters. Them struggling through the first two games, it mattered. And the way they played in game three and four, that mattered too. So, and I think we're going to have to do this during the regular season as well. We can't just brush something aside and say, yeah, it's no big deal. I think all of it's a big deal and all of it matters to help this team get to where it needs to go. And that's why I love the fact that this is preseason game number four. And I don't have the minutes in front of me, but Kevin Durant played probably around 30 minutes. Kyrie Irving played around 30 minutes. Ben Simmons played 12 because he fouled out, but that they were giving (laughs) the guys minutes. Like they were, I'm not saying that they were being extended and stressed and pushed, to a limit which would be silly but the idea that it wasn't like okay it's the timberwolves preseason game number four like there's no reason to play everybody it's going to be kessler edwards and dayron sharp who did play well but the, the idea that he did play that the nets coach nash whoever's running the team whatever played the guys i was like good because they need chemistry they, they need, need to, to. Get better i was it, that as stupid as it sounds i was like okay this is a sign that they're taking it seriously, that they're out here playing 30-ish minutes in a game versus Minnesota. They cared. They tried. And and the guy in particular that impressed me the most was Kyrie Irving, that he gave a damn, played defense, played not like 
that was encouraging just because of last year he was basically a ghost. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we make the assumption that in a contract year he cares, you know, that he wants to get the full max contract next year, then we should expect that Kyrie Irving is going to go out there and play a lot of games mm. and play at a high level and be engaged. And in a lot of ways, he's the most important player to this team. Maybe not from a basketball standpoint, but certainly from a locker room standpoint, from a, this whole thing could just completely fall apart standpoint. Because when you look back at last year, and I'm not blaming it all on him, there was a mandate too, but Kyrie Irving, his involvement, kind of caused this whole thing to fall apart. And by the way, that's the best part about this preseason. Not only the fact that these guys played, and I think that's really, really important, but the Brooklyn Nets just had a very normal preseason. There was no drama. There was nothing, anything crazy. And when you look back at the last three years, because this really is, when you think about it, year four of this era, year one didn't feature Kevin Durant. He was a cloud that kind of hung over the idea of, oh, maybe he'll come back in the playoffs. Hmm. That was our big fantasy. But yeah, we went into a season with lower expectations, but it was the Kyrie Irving show. So the distraction in year one was, do you think Kevin Durant will ever play this year? The distraction in year two coming out of the pandemic was the James Harden rumors. I mean, I remember that. I remember we had Sean. It was, I think, the last time I talked to Sean Marks, but I had him on WFAN. I actually begged him not to trade for James Harden. That didn't work out very well. But that was a huge kind of background story. Is Karis LeVert even going to be here? Is Jared Allen even going to be here? Like, what is this team, even though we were beginning the Durant-Irving era? And we had a ton of enthusiasm, obviously, and they won their first two games, and they did it in blowout fashion. They beat the Warriors and the Celtics, if I'm not mistaken, in those back-to-back games. But it was still there. It was still hovering. Like, things aren't settled. This isn't necessarily the team we're going to watch. So that was year two. Year three is obvious. That was the Kyrie Irving vaccine stuff to which the Nets finally send them home and he's not going to be a part of the team. So when you think about it, everything in the first three years had some kind of distraction. And really the only distraction, if you want to call it was taken care of at media day this year, which is Durant wanted out. Ben Simmons is going to play basketball again. Kyrie's talking about his contract. Nash is talking about the fact that Durant wanted him fired. And really that was the story on media day. And you know, there's, backlash to it there's fallout from it what do you believe all that kind of stuff but then they just started playing basketball and and bro over the last two weeks it was just basketball and that was the first time in this era that it literally was just basketball Mm -hmm. and i think that was the best part of the preseason i agree with you on the Kyrie irving front when your initial point i think he is the key to everything if this team's going to have championship aspirations. Uh, The relief that he can give Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons and kind of just float under the radar as a superstar. uh, For me, he needs to be MVP style Kyrie Irving for them to, to have a shot at winning this. And then to get back to the distractions point there, the, the distraction now, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's not a distraction. It's just the talk. It's just all about Ben Simmons. It's all about, is he being aggressive? Can he shoot? What's his free throws like? Uh, Is he being too unselfish? It's all centered around Ben Simmons. There's been nothing about, like, all of the talk about Kevin Durant and, uh, you know, he wanted to leave. Nothing there. Kyrie Irving. 
Is he going to play? So far, so good. Those two guys, the the cornerstone centerpieces of this franchise, have just been going about their business per se in the preseason. And now all the talk is, and it's, you know, magnified Ben Simmons back. It's, you know, highlights on Ben Simmons, this on Ben Simmons. And it's it's funny because in the media day, I don't think there was really that much interest in what Ben Simmons had to say. And it was more about Durant and Kyrie because of what had transpired with Steve Nash and Sean Marks. And now that they were on the court, it's like, well, Durant and Kyrie are just so great. They're, they're taught, they're, there's nothing to say. And it's all, it's all Ben Simmons centered. And that's like the, the focus from people around the association on the nets. It's what is Ben Simmons? Is he going to progress? Is he ramping up? What kind of player is he going to be in 2022, 2023? Right. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of unfair stuff around Ben Simmons. And then there's a lot of fair critiques and criticisms and questions of Ben Simmons. The unfair stuff is obvious. You know, it's someone following him into a candy store and calling him Russell Westbrook. There's, you know, him at the Brooklyn Nets park event that they had, which they have every year, and it's a really cool event, and they capture him on video putting up an air ball or a brutal shot. And it's just, hey, let's pick on Ben Simmons. He can't shoot. Okay, we get it. He can't shoot. No one's denying that. And that stuff's just old. And it is unfair at this point because no one's arguing with you. You know, for anyone who hates Ben Simmons and wants to post these videos, whether they're Sixer fans or whomever, like we all agree, the guy can't shoot. And that's okay, by the way. I don't care if he shoots. So I think that kind of stuff that's out there, a viral video of him putting up a bad shot at a practice, which when you really think about it is comical that that becomes a viral thing, it's unfair. And, and, you know, I said this on the air the other day, and Craig was laughing because he thought I was doing it squarely to defend Ben Simmons. And it was done to defend Ben Simmons, but I brought up Russell Westbrook, a part of it. And I said, all right, these jokes are annoying. Like, everything is about Russ. Everything is about Ben. Oh, Russ can't shoot. Russ hates his teammates. (laughs) Like, enough. Like we, we get the issues that Russell Westbrook has. We get the issues that Ben Simmons have. But it's like a running joke and a running commentary about both guys. And I'm not even a huge fan of Russell Westbrook. I've had enough. They've almost made me a fan of Russell Westbrook. I almost want to see him go out and play really well for the Lakers. And I have no rooting interest in that. And so I think Ben and Russ are both treated in that same way. And it's obnoxious and it's annoying, but okay, it's part of the deal. I'm sure a lot of Sixer fans hate Ben Simmons, and rightfully so. I'm sure we would hate him too. I don't like James Harden. So I guess if I saw videos of James Harden eating food or being lazy, I'd want to laugh at it too, and I'd want to make it viral. So I think all that stuff's ridiculous and unfair. But now I'm a fan. You're a fan. And he's on our favorite basketball team. And I'm watching him play in the preseason, games that don't count. Okay. Very few people are watching, and the results don't matter. And Ben Simmons is not aggressive. Ben Simmons looks like a player that, while let me actually let me take it back for a second because I want to compliment a lot of the positives of this guy because I don't want to make it seem like oh my god he's one giant negative. He is a tremendous defensive player, and it got me real excited watching him defend Giannis the other night because it's the vision of oh my god, you know best of seven series with the box. Now you could actually put Ben Simmons on the best player on another team. 
A lot of times last year, it was Kevin Durant's job. Look what happened in the first round of the playoffs. KD had to defend Jason Tatum. Now you could stick Ben Simmons on anybody. And he can guard one through five. He is an excellent defensive player. He can rebound. He's got excellent court vision. They're playing at a high pace. He's got a high basketball IQ. He's going to find open looks for everybody, especially if Joe Harris could ever be healthy and Seth Curry could ever be healthy. And he is a true point guard, which they really don't have because Kyrie Irving to me is more off ball. So uh, let me just get all those compliments out of the way because all that crap is true. And I am so excited to see Ben Simmons and the fast break offense this net team is going to have. But, bro, you cannot be afraid of contact and getting to the free throw line. And I understand it's only preseason games. He only took four free throws in four preseason games. I kind of have a problem with that. I need his ass on the line a lot because eventually he's going to be forced to go on the free throw line and he's going to have to make shots. Otherwise, what happened in Philly at the end would happen to us. And that, I know it's only preseason, I get it, but this would be the time, bro, where he would be aggressive, where he wouldn't be afraid of going to the free throw line. And that's my big concern about Ben Simmons. It ain't shooting threes. That's crap that we don't care about. He never has to shoot a three. It's the free throw line stuff. That scares me. He he has fascinated me so much in these preseason games because I have found myself waffling back and forth. And you're right, all the stuff about like missing a shot at the Brooklyn Park event, like who cares? It's silly. And it's just people that aren't even watching the Nets that are trolling and just finding the one things they want to take out and working with it. But it's it's that he's looked, and I probably sound like a Sixer fan at step two or something, but it's like he looks brilliant in the fact that he'll get a rebound off a missed free throw, throw it all the way down the court, and hit Kyrie Irving in stride for a layup. He'll guard Giannis, who goes four for 16, and defends him. He'll go up, he'll steal the ball at half court, go behind the back, throw a lob to Cam Thomas, who gets an easy layup. And I'm going, this guy is perfect. This is perfect. He is. This is is perfect. But then it's, then it's, he gets to the rim and can't be aggressive. And I, that's the part where it's, it's terrifying. Like to me, Jason Kidd, a different kind of player, but in his prime with the Nets, wasn't a very good shooter. But to Jason Kidd's credit, he shot the ball. Like he would shoot it. And I'm not saying Ben Simmons is similar in the fact that he's not taking any perimeter shots. Jason Kidd did. But Kidd would go like three for 11, two for seven, three for nine. But he shot it to keep the defense honest and was aggressive. And it played an impact in what he did. If Ben Simmons is never going to be aggressive, it's going to be a problem because you can't get into. There was one play in particular from the T Wolf game. Where yeah. He got into the paint and he, he kicked like, it out. He it was like it was like it's there. There's it's there, and I he doesn't have like you said he doesn't have to be the three point shooter. He doesn't have to be going twelve shots a game. But when he gets in the paint, he just has to be aggressive, or else or or else a problem's going to occur when it counts. And I couldn't agree more with that. Like jason kidd early in his career was it's crazy to think about because by the time he got to us he wasn't this was not a good free throw shooter uh shot mid to high 60s and when he was here got a lot better and was very reliable at the line i think what's concerning about ben simmons is that he hasn't really made a lot of progress at the line and if you go back to what happened in the postseason 
back in 21, he went completely backwards. I mean, he was an abomination at the line by the time the playoffs came around. But Ben Simmons's career average is right around 60% in the regular season. If he's that, if he's going to make 60% of his free throws, I believe it or not, I can live with that. Like, yeah. as long as he's not afraid to go to the line. I think that's one of the great compliments about Giannis uh, when we were battling him a few years ago and even after. Like, he was struggling at the line, but he wasn't afraid to go. He wasn't afraid to get there. Because, look, if you're going to continue to foul him, even if he's going to make half his shots, you're put, still putting some points on the board. You know what I mean? Like, you're still adding something to the scoreboard. So if he is the guy he was in Philadelphia in the regular season, where he's getting to the line five, six times a game, maybe even less, four or five times a game, but he's shooting 62 63%, that's okay. I don't expect him to be Kyrie Irving at the line. But I think he needs to go there and be somewhat acceptable. And I think what what scares me is that talking about the postseason from 2021 is not an unfair criticism of Ben Simmons. It's not. It's his reality, and it's the last time we saw him play basketball. During that run, he shot 34% from the line. Now, that's not acceptable. And I don't know based on him only attempting four free throws during the preseason, if he's that guy, is he 34% Ben Simmons or is he 62% Ben Simmons? There's a huge difference. There's a monstrous difference. And since that's the last time we saw him, well, I'm going to assume he's the 35% Ben Simmons. And the problem with a guy who's going to be that bad at the line, and I'm not just talking about the playoffs, I'll talk about the regular season. That guy can't play fourth quarters. And so all those other great attributes he can bring, which are exactly what this team needs. You're right. Of course, he's exactly what this team needs, but he can't make himself unplayable in the postseason or in the fourth quarter of close games. And so I was hopeful that the preseason's the time to figure it out. The preseason is the time to get to the line five or six times. And then we'll, and then we'll see. I, I just don't know what to expect now going into the regular season because is he 34% Ben Simmons from the line like the playoffs, or is he more his career average, which is in the high 50s, low 60s, which, not great, is certainly more acceptable. And the Nets will tell you, hey, he hasn't played basketball in a year and a half. He's got to ramp up, but I'm not using that word in like the net ramp up, but like actually ramp up. He hasn't played in forever. He's got to get more comfortable. He's got to get out there. He's got to do it. And part of me is like, I get that, right? If you haven't done anything in a year and a half, it's going to take you a minute until you can get back to the level that you've been at. But because of his history, because it's him, and then because of the Nets and what they've had in their history, it's like it's really hard to imagine that he gets more progress and gets more comfortable at all of this. A guy, I had, like, legit, I went on YouTube, and I said, I got to watch Ben Simmons highlights before the Hawks series when he was in his, you know, early prime where he was attacking the basket. <laughs> and I was like, I hadn't seen any of this stuff. It was you know, attacking the paint, not not jump shots or anything like that, but it was just getting to the basket, dunking the ball into the paint, laying it up, and it was being strong and finishing. And it was nothing that that I saw in the net preseason games. What I saw in the net preseason game was making the right read, making the right pass, helping guys get into the right spot, but not being aggressive. Those six are highlights. He was aggressive, dunking the ball, splitting defenders, getting to the rack. You saw none of that in the net game, 
and it was it was like oh here's a floater oh here's a shot off the backboard and and I get it because it's the net agenda and it's what has to be said but it's like he gets in the paint and makes a shot that's five feet out and it's celebrated like it's the biggest <laughs> moment in NBA history did you see yeah. that he's gaining momentum he got yeah. into the basket and he floated it off his right hand you know the the problem I have with Ben Simmons finishing is if somebody said watch Ben Simmons on the Nets the first four games I said is he a lefty or a righty you go. I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you. I don't know what hand he shoots with. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're getting Philadelphia Ben Simmons or we're getting a new Ben Simmons, which may be a more timid Ben Simmons. I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess we'll find out together. I, I always viewed Ben Simmons this way from afar, and I think it's a pretty big compliment. I always looked at him and said, if that guy develops a jump shot, he's LeBron. That if he ever develops a threat from the outside – He's on the LeBron level. And I no longer like think about that because it's been so long that he's clearly never going to develop that. No. That, he, that that aspect of his game is never going to be refined where he takes that jump. Now, he was an all-star caliber player, and if he could be that guy, the one you described from Philadelphia, we'll all be happy. And it gives the no Nets doubt. an excellent chance to win. So I'm not even asking him to be the guy who from afar I looked at and said, boy, boy, you know, he... He adds a jump shot. He's a top five player. The Nets don't need him to be a top five player. But it, it's odd because from afar, I looked at him and said, boy, this, this is a guy who can go to the next level, and he never did. And you wonder why. Did he not work that hard at it? Did he not care about that as much? Uh, what caused him to kind of stay stagnant as a player for a few years and not take that jump? I, I look at Giannis, man. Look, Giannis just keeps getting better. And that's a guy who's refining his craft every single year. You know, Kevin Durant's a guy that's gotten better. You know, the all-time great players get better. They refine their craft as they get older. And you know, obviously from afar, I never saw that with Ben Simmons. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what his day-to-day -day is. Uh, I do think there is some form of, of mental block with shooting the basketball. No doubt. There is something there where he doesn't feel comfortable shooting a basketball. Uh, you know he can do it in practice, but in, in games, it's just not for him. I mean, well, it really isn't. What is cool, though, is if they can get healthy, and that's such an if. It's great that Kevin Durant is healthy and Kyrie Irving is healthy, and right now Ben Simmons is healthy, but Joe Harris is not, and it's a huge mystery. He comes back, he plays one game, he plays 15 minutes. Then we hear he's got some soreness, and we haven't seen him since. And I don't know if he's going to play the opener Wednesday night against the New Orleans Pelicans. So what I'm about to say is it's just a theory. But if you could have a healthy Joe and a healthy Seth Curry and even Patty Mills, who I'll get to in a few minutes, you surround Ben with shooters. Again, that, that seems like such a perfect second unit as uh -huh. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving get some time on the bench. But we haven't seen Seth Curry, though I'm confident he'll come back. I mean, we kind of knew he was going to be a little bit late coming into camp because of the surgery. But with Joe Harris, I don't know, man. We all love Joe Harris, but the guy's played one game now in nearly a year after he had that ankle injury and then needed a second surgery. I'm starting to worry we're never going to see the same Joe Harris again. And you can't trust the Nets, Evan. You just can't trust the Nets. Anything they say, they do. They have such a track record of seeing bad things happen where it's like, oh, yeah, this happened. Oh, it'll be this. Oh, it'll be that. Whatever it might be, like now with Joe how can you not think the worst anytime that something happens? It's just natural. Even if this is just precautionary because they want to take it slow with them. 
because of the track record of everything that's happened, you just assume the worst. And I, I, I love the idea of like a second unit where the Nets and Ben Simmons are bringing out these sharpshooters and Joe and Seth were two of the most, you know, you could argue the the two most lethal shooters in the NBA today. And Ben, one of his stats is he gets guys open shots for three. I mean, that is just, you salivate at that. And that has been, besides what we talked about with Ben not being aggressive, it's not having Seth and Joe and Joe in particular because he played the first game. It's the second freaking surgery or whatever. He's supposed to be back and it's just supposed to be, oh, yeah, we we rested him on the second game to be safe. But the fact that he has not been out there and seen that, that's the scary thought of same old Nets. Here they go again. I, I'm the idea of putting Ben out there with Joe and Seth and having this crazy shooting lineup. That makes me so excited because it and Ben talked about it on the JJ Reddick podcast where he said when when Embiid was out and it was him and a bunch of shooters and he said that was that was the most fun he had was just feeding guys that are incredible shooters. That's that's the joy and um, yeah, it's it, it's it's you know you don't want to say same old Nets because the season hasn't started yet, but the Joe injury thing it's coming like. Man, well, I'm glad they. I'm glad they have Seth because because it just always seems to be something with Joe and his foot. Yeah, dude, it's like relievers. You never have enough relievers. You never have enough. You never have enough shooters. And you know, even Patty Mills. I know Patty's had a terrible preseason, and he didn't have a great year last year because, well, they needed to play him basically 30 minutes a night. Uh, so maybe the expectations for Patty are at an all time low amongst Net fans. But right. considering you've got Joe Harris's ankle foot as a major question considering Seth Curry's coming off surgery. Yeah. They need Patty Mills. Plus it just seems like Patty's important for Ben Simmons mm-hmm. as fellow countrymen. They have a really good relationship. I-, I think the hope is Patty isn't forced to have to play 20 minutes a night because I-, I hate to say this about him, but he looked cooked at times late last season. And here he is in the preseason where he's supposed to be refreshed and he hasn't looked good. I know it's just a, a preseason. It doesn't matter, but you know, it's not like Patty's come out flying. And remember, Patty Mills began his net career flying high. Didn't he yeah. make like nine threes or something crazy in a row yeah, to begin his like net career? Six for six or something. And no, Patty has not looked good. He's been exposed on the defensive end, and he has not had a solid start. But I'll say this, and I have no problem saying it. If he helps Ben Simmons and he's there and, and can make – Ben a better player. I have no problem with Patty being on the roster. Oh, totally worth it. Leadership. To- totally worth it. Totally worth the two years, whatever million dollars he signed for. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally worth it. But, it, you know, you're getting into the nitty gritty of the Nets depth chart. It's like, well, you know, if you're going to play Patty Mills or Watanabe, you know, let's play Watanabe because it gives him size. He can shoot a little bit better. You know, he can shoot a little bit defensively. He's not as inept as Patty. No, but Patty, uh, I'm a big Patty Mills fan. When he got signed last year, I was like, "Oh, he'll take this is maybe better than Jeff Green." And I was wrong. Uh, and he is <laughs> he has regressed from. Oh, here's a guy that you could rely on to make you know make some shots, be tough. And now it's like feels just like a liability for them out there. He feels like, unfortunately, an older washed player. Um, Nicholas Claxton, I think, just being healthy and being out there for seventy games would be a major plus. He's so good defensively. I mean, he's another guy who can guard one through five. He'll benefit from having Ben Simmons get some easy lobs 
Um, but again, his free throw shooting is a question. Remember that meltdown in game four against Boston in which he missed 10 free throws in a row. I'm not saying it would have made a difference in the game, but I, I wanted to see more of Nick Claxton at the line just to see if sure. he's exercised those demons. And I think he only attempted four or five free throws in the preseason, but he is going to have a monstrous role on this team. I'm not convinced that him and Ben for extended period of time is a great fit on the floor together. I do think Ben can obviously, you know, open up a little bit of Nick's offense, getting easy lobs. But the fact that both guys can't shoot, you know, the floor spacing may not be ideal with both guys out there, but boy, both guys can defend. I'll tell you that defensively, you like yeah. when both of those guys are out there. And how about Dayron Sharp from the backup center position? Because, you know, the Nets, uh, we didn't, you know, you're going to sign DeMarcus Cousins, you're going to sign anybody else that, uh, he was a bright spot in that fourth and final game versus the T-Wolves, getting 15 points and 13 rebounds. He looks slimmer. Uh, Dayron has been a nice a nice spot here in the preseason, and, and they're, they're going to need him in, in moments. And, he, you know, he gave a valuable role last year, especially when there were some injuries that had happened and before um, Andre Drummond was aboard. You know, all of what we got from Dayron Sharp, so we'll see what he can do. And, you know... <laughs> I don't know about Clax at the line. That's just something we'll see over time. I don't think, because, you know, the thing with Clax was like he shot free throws and was okay. Yes. It was, but, but then it was like something, he was bad, got better, and then got, and then became a disaster. Yeah. So it got I, worse. I, I don't think, I think he'll be like, I have no faith that Ben Simmons will make free throws. I, th- I don't, I'm not saying that Nick Claxon's going to become. Uh, you know, J.J. Redick at the line or, you know, Seth Curry at the line, Kyrie at the line. But I think he, he's going to settle into like 71%, 68% or something where it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of an adventure, but it's not the uh, one for 11 kind of adventure that you <laughs> well, see every day. I mean, that, that was yeah, bad. When well, you're that bad, you become unplayable, which is unfortunate. Um, so, yeah, you better be better than that. Dayron's interesting. He's so young. I think we forget that a little bit about Dayron Sharp. He's still developing as a player. I think he may actually be able to develop a three-point shot too, which would help stretch the floor a little bit. I don't think that there is a, a huge need yet. Let's see how this develops to go out and add a veteran five. And I don't think they have to go out and sign Dwight Howard tomorrow. I'm kind of curious to see how Steve lines this up, how Nash lines this up. Or are we going to see a lot of Ben at the five? I think Markeith Morris is going to play a lot of five, no doubt. And so... When they go small, it's weird. We can say they're going small, but they have such length. You know, you've got a 6'10 point guard in Ben Simmons. You've got a 7-foot small forward in Kevin Durant. So when they go, quote-unquote, small, they ain't small. I mean, their length is all over the place. They're a very long team, and I think you're going to see that defensively. This, This should be, you know, assuming everybody plays, which is, you know, the priority here. This should be a a significantly better defensive team. Significantly better defensive team. Uh, And really, they should be a significantly better team. You know, I think back to that team in 21 that should have won an NBA title if Harden and Irving don't get hurt. And even with Harden hurt, it looked like they were on their way to an NBA title. It was Kyrie Irving getting hurt that derailed the whole thing. But I think back to that team, and I look at that roster, and I say to myself, this roster right now, is better Mm. now i'm not sure kevin durant's the same we'll have to see that this year can he stay healthy 
Is he going to age a little bit? He's 34 years old. He's got a lot of wear on the tire. So it's definitely a fair question to say, all right, but is KD at that same level? Okay, we'll see. But the rest of the roster, to me, is significantly better. The question is, can you harness it? And can the guys be out there and play? You know, TJ Warren's a guy who could add a lot to this team, but he's got to go out and play. Seth Curry, Joe Harris on the floor at the same time. Oh, my God. But they got to go out and play. But roster-wise, 1 through 15, I mean, to me, bro, it's significantly better than that roster from two years ago. Yeah, it's the best net roster we've seen in this Kevin Durant era. It, it, it definitely is. Like, you look at the Nets team when Joe Harris wasn't playing well in the playoffs, and it was you know, scared to give Landry Shamit minutes. Well, now you have Seth Curry. You'd feel good about that. TJ Warren is a proven scorer, a big body length. I mean, it is it is by far, I would say by far the best overall roster that they have had. It's just all the question marks. Do all of those boxes get checked with this team? Do they stay healthy? Does Ben Simmons figure this all out? Does Kyrie Irving not disappear for a length of time? Does Kevin Durant not get hurt? Does you know, All the questions that have been asked, they have to go for. And it's baby steps, and it's it's the preseason, and it's four games, but it's like box checked. They cared about the preseason. <laughs> they they yeah. had an offensive flow in the third and fourth game where it was an isolation ball. They you know moved the basketball around and showed an offense. Box checked. Preseason was boring. Preseason was regular. Yes. <laughs> Move on. Very important. Box that's to it. Check. Right. Yes. Like. You know, as as pathetic as it is, it's one that needed to be needed to be checked based on just how pathetic last season was for the Nets. And you know, that's that's reality though. This is the thing they need to do. They need to take the regular season seriously. They need to take the preseason seriously. And, and maybe so, far, so good. And maybe having an offense, like having a real existing offense, is a testament to Igor, who Steve Nash yes. brought in, the former head coach of Phoenix and obviously long time. Uh, coach around the world maybe he brings a Mike D'Antoni element that they missed last year that that may have been a big blow to this roster too and which may have led to this offense being really stagnant obviously having Ben Simmons is a big help he's he's a true point guard like for all the negatives we may bring up and may continue to bring up like there are so many positives that he brings to this team he really is you know a true floor general and can make guys around them better what I am curious about is you know, you look at the first five games of this season. They open up the year against the New Orleans Pelicans. Obviously, a lot of hype around a healthy, potentially, Zion Williamson and a really talented young Pelican team, no doubt. And then they play another really good team, or at least a solid team. The Toronto Raptors, a perennial playoff team. Then they go to Memphis to take on Ja, and they go to Milwaukee before they come home to play Dallas. A really, I think, challenging five-game stretch before the schedule softens up a little bit. But here's what I'm fascinated about. How are they going to treat back-to-backs? How are they going to handle their veteran players? That at Memphis, not at Memphis, at Milwaukee, home against Dallas, is a back-to-back against two really good teams. Is Kevin Durant playing both of them? I kind of lean towards yes, especially early on. Is Kyrie Irving going to play both of them? I'd lean yes, especially early on. How they handle Ben Simmons? I don't know. My my natural reaction is he's 26 years old. He should go out and play. 
Yeah. That would be my natural reaction. So I think my guess is early in the season, everybody's going to play. They're not going to whip out maintenance days. I don't see that being a thing until later on in the season. Do you agree with that? I totally agree with that. What I think they'll do is you won't see Kevin Durant playing 40 to 42 minutes. I think there will be a plan where KD, Kyrie, they're playing 34, 35 minutes or whatever it is. And it's not this extent of like how last year it was for KD where they needed him. You know, he found a way to play more than 48 minutes a game and it was absurd. I think he, I think he plays in back to backs. I think, or I think they all play in back to backs, but their minutes are more normal superstar minutes where it's not out of control and they can make sure that they can manage that on back to backs and playing good teams where they don't burn them out too much, but they're still getting the minutes that they need without going to the craziness of like, all right, I guess Kevin Durant's going to play the entire second half in the seventh game of the season. He did it. They're four and two. Like he did. It's got to be. It's funny because they have, they have to take the regular season seriously, but at the same time, they can't, they can't throw them out 40 to 44 minutes every night. So it's like finding that balance, whatever that is, is crucial for their success. I, I don't trust Steve Nash to do that because I've seen Steve Nash and it's one thing to do it in a playoff game. We all love that. You know, it's the playoffs. You got to go balls to the wall. You got to do whatever it takes. But you look at last year after the first game of the year in which they got blown out. So it was easy to manage minutes. Kevin Durant played 37 minutes in game number two, 36 minutes in game number three. Then on a back-to-back the next night, played 35 minutes. So he went from 37 to 35 minutes, then went out and played another 37 minutes and another 37 minutes. So you're looking at the first five, six games of the season. Nash was out there playing him 37 minutes a night. Now, I get the difference in last year. Kyrie Irving wasn't playing. Mm -hmm. You were relying Mm -hmm. on a Durant-Harden tandem, but who knows what the season's going to bring. I mean, guys are going to miss games. I'm not I'm not delusional enough to think Kyrie Irving's playing 82 games. He's not. It's not going to happen. Same thing with Ben Simmons. Very rarely do guys play every single game. So I just have a tough time trusting this coach. I know a lot of people don't trust him for other reasons. One of the things, one of the many things I don't trust this coach about is managing the minutes. And you've got a guy in Durant who says when he's asked, hey, what's your ideal minute total per night? And he says 48. So obviously... It's not that he's complaining about it. He wants to play, and that's great. But I would love to see them keep his minute total in the low 30s. Yeah. And maybe and that's asking too much, but that's what I'd like to see. I, I mean, they, they have to. I mean, they, they, they just have to. They can't, they can't fall for that trap. I mean, because it, it burned them versus Boston. I'm, I'm convinced of it. Amongst other things, for not being a, a cohesive unit and not taking the regular season seriously, but they just relied so much on Kevin Durant, where I think in that Celtic series, he was he was toast. I think you're he was right. Toast. I, he, I, he just didn't have it. I think you're right. And, you know, I know he missed a lot of time, so it's easy to say, oh, that would refresh him. All you've got to do is look at the amount of minutes he played after he came back in the first week of March. Brutal. In the last, like, listen to this. These are the last two, four, six, eight games of the season. Last eight games of the season. 42 minutes, 39 minutes, 45 minutes, 42 minutes, 37 minutes, 42, 
41-41. I mean, Jesus Christ. In the regular season, now I get it. They were fighting for a play-in spot, so I understand the importance of it. But he had to play 42 minutes against the New York Knicks. He had to play 41 minutes that last game of the regular season against the Indiana Pacers. He had to play huge minutes against these crappy teams, and, and that that has to change. No, And that's why the first thing I said when, when you and I started recording tonight was, and you said it also, but like Kyrie Irving to me is the most important net this season. We've stressed a lot about Ben Simmons. We talked about all of the things he needs to do. We've talked about all the good and the bad. We just talked about Kevin Durant. But for Kyrie Irving to come in and take the burden off of Kevin Durant, that to me gives you the fact that he can play 34 minutes, 35 minutes, 33 minutes, because you have a guy that's an MVP quality player. Kyrie Irving can go out there, make the game look so easy offensively that he could take that off of Kevin Durant. And that's why, again, I come back to like, Kyrie is the key to all of this because he's sandwiched between. I feel like we're going to go over our rankings of one, two, three best players, Durant, Irving, and Simmons. Kyrie in the middle, take some of the stress off of Kevin Durant. Take some of the stress off of Ben Simmons. Do that so we can take minutes away. Do that so we don't put Ben Simmons in the pressure cooker where everybody's eyes on him. Like Kyrie, come out and do all of that stuff so we don't have to deal with, oh my God, Kevin Durant playing 48 minutes on a back-to-back in the second game versus the Detroit Pistons to get a win. Like, and he did that. Yep. You know, he had the 50-point game. It's like that's the stuff that just it just adds up over time and it burned them bad. Burned them so bad <laughs> no doubt. versus Boston. No doubt. No doubt. So what I think this is the most difficult thing to do, and I'll try to do it too. And that's a prediction mm-hmm. for this team. Like, what? what's your gut right now? I mean, I, I guess we're, we should be negative. We should expect this to completely blow up because these three years have been bad. I mean, let's be honest. These three years have gone, you know, pretty much as badly as you would think. Even year one without Durant, I thought we figured they'd be an above 500 team. Guess what happens? Kyrie Irving gets hurt, misses the rest of the year. Obviously, there's a pandemic that none of us see coming, and they're an easy first-round exit. So overall... I know it played out in a way that none of us could predict, but it was disappointing prior to Irving getting injured. Year two, we're on our way to a title. Boom, boom, a couple of injuries. We're knocked out in the second round far earlier than any of us could have expected. Last year, the big three blows up. They trade James Harden. We barely make the play-in tournament, and they get bounced in four straight to the Celtics. It has been a disastrous three years. So how could anyone blame us for being negative about making a prediction for this season. With that said, what's your prediction for this season? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny to think James Harden is part of this history because it's just he's so involved. This is a side note, not answering your question. Right. But he's, he's so involved, but now, uh, I don't know. The James Harden chapter is a very complicated one. When my son gets older, it will be very, very difficult to explain. Um I think being honest, it's like a second round exit where they just lose to a team that's played together longer. If it's, I think they get past the first round this year, but if I'm just being real, when it's all said and done, they lose to Milwaukee, they lose to a Miami in the second round in six. And I think it's more of along the lines of 
It's a good regular season. It's not the disaster that it was last year. They win their 50 games. It's fun. They go to the first round and they beat the Hawks in six, but then they get to the second round. They play Miami. They play Milwaukee and they just don't have what it takes. It's weird. A part of me thinks this is where they're going to come off. The wheels are going to come off in an epically bad way to where we're trading Durant at the deadline. We're trading Irving at the deadline and we're facing 48 losses, 52 losses, something like that. Or things go well and they go really well. Maybe not to the point of winning an NBA championship, but getting out of the East and getting to the NBA finals and losing a hard fought series to the Golden State Warriors. It's tough to imagine an in-between. Like it just seems as if it's it's all or nothing. It's either all gonna work and it's gonna be freaking great and it was worth the wait. Or this is going to be another, just another story we get to tell our grandchildren and kids about how painful it is to be a Nets fan. That it just can't be somewhere in the middle. So you know what? I'm going to give you the positive spin. We're going to win 55 games and we're going to get to the finals and lose. I'll go all the way with it. I'm not going all the way with it because all the way with it would be winning an NBA championship. Uh, but I guess there's a part of me that thinks it either works really, really well or this thing's a disaster and we're blowing it up in February. Yeah, that's funny because I kind of took somewhere in the middle where it's it's good, but it doesn't get good enough. I don't see that, honestly, because well, I think if it works, it works. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Miami's beating us if this works. I guess it's a, it just comes down to like, what is it? I don't know yet, Evan. And as much praise as I'll give Durant and Kyrie, if they're that great together, even when it is working, is it working? Is it better than that? I don't know. I'll, I'll find out. I, I I don't. I just don't know yet. Yeah. Well, it's it's been odd in a way that the Irving Durant combo has not been spectacular when we've seen it. We've right. seen it. I mean, not for as much time as we had hoped, but it hasn't been spectacular. And, you know, maybe having a real offense, maybe the addition of Igor to this coaching staff, maybe having a true point guard like Ben Simmons, maybe being surrounded by three-point shooters if they're healthy, maybe that's the thing that unlocks it. And we do get to see that combination succeed Uh at a high level. But I am excited. I'm very excited because, look, in our lives, how many seasons have we gone into with a chance to win an NBA championship. That doesn't mean they're the favorites. They shouldn't be. It doesn't mean I think it's going to happen or you think it's going to happen. But, and I don't mean to put down any other organization, but there are fan bases that will go into this season hoping to be good, and maybe they will be good, Mm -hmm. but they know they're not winning an NBA championship. They know that's not happening. They may be building towards one. They may be, you know, two, three years away with the right additions, but there are certain fan bases that can't go into this season at least saying, hey, if everything breaks right, yeah. we're winning an NBA championship. And we have that. that yeah. now, what the hell does that mean? It means nothing if things blow up and we go nowhere. But there haven't been many years in our lives where, as fans, we could at least say, hey, we got a shot. No, may not happen, but we got a shot. And that is a cool feeling because I don't know how much longer we're ever going to have that feeling. Yeah, and that's why, you know, when they brought, when Kevin Durant and it, 
Kyrie, it all they all decided not they decided, but but the idea that they were going to stay, at least that glimmer of hope was there. And I've I've brought this up before. It was like if I if Kevin Durant left and Kyrie Irving was traded and they had whatever form of 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 players on this roster, you'd say they have no chance to win the title. I'd say, do you want to make a bet that the Nets can win the title? And at least there would be a bet. Now, if I said it before this season, hey, do you want to bet that the Nets can win the championship? You could make a great argument why they can't. Oh, Ben Simmons this, the coaching staff that, Kevin Durant will get hurt, Kyrie Irving's going to split, they don't respect the coaches, blah, blah, blah. But I would say at least there's a ticket to make a bet. And the Nets have a ticket to make a bet. Does it work? My gut says no, ultimately, because I've been burned in the past. Yeah. But at least there is an option where you could go, I'll take the I'll take the, I'll take the bet because I because they have the odd. They have the players. You know, and, and and we just have to wait and see it out. But as net fans, we will say we respect the regular season, we respect the preseason, we will <laughs> we will take every game seriously, and I will no longer go, well, as long as they're just healthy. I'm okay. No, yes. they've, they've, they've got a, well, healthy. Yes, of course, but, but they got to care. And I'm using this and you should too, as an excuse to our wives on why going to regular season games are so important. So honey, the reason why I need to go to this Friday night game against the Raptors is because we respect the regular season. <laughs> it matters. It's important. So if you have to use it, if I have to use it, if anyone listening has to use it, that's the excuse, honey. We respect the regular season. It's right. important. We go to this Tuesday night game against the Detroit Pistons. But and if if your wife's really in tune, she'll be like, "Well, then why are they resting Joe Harris and <laughs> Seth Curry on the back to back?" Well, honey, I don't have an answer for you there. Good point. You should coach I, the team. I wish I could tell you. Either way, it should be a, a fun beginning to the season, and hopefully, it's a fun ending to the season. Wednesday night against the New Orleans Pelicans. You can. Listen to Mike on his weekly podcast, Bad Weather Fans, with Mike and Alex, where Nick fans and Net fans bitch at each other constantly and then get along and have a good time. It's a must-listen, so definitely check that out. And obviously me and Craig at 2 o'clock, Monday through Friday on WFN. Thank you for listening to the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.